Arnold Eggs Benedict. No. March 31st, 2021. This is Rare Encounter. Encounter number 38. And charging up with nylon underpants and zapping my way through life, I'm Abel Kirby. And saving the world one ship at a time, I'm Cold Acid. Ah, the ship! The ship! The ship that everyone's talking about and loves to talk about. I presume you're talking about the Suez Canal. Yeah, the Ever Given. Uh, So it was... Can I? Can we get this straight? The Ever Given is the name of the the company, and the Evergreen is the name of the ship. Is that true? No, Evergreen is the name of the shipping line. The name of the ship itself is the Ever Given. The Ever Given on the Evergreen shipping line. Okay. Yes. That's one that got me. It threw me through a loop because I kept seeing it referred to by different names. Jeez. Yeah, mm. I've seen I've seen the Evergreen's uh, intermodal containers quite a few times on trains as well, because they, of course, all the well, all the shipping lines have their own containers as well as like moving containers of their customers. Mm-hmm. So you'll see, so you'll see sometimes when the trains go by, you'll see some Evergreen containers. You might see like other companies' containers as well. And, mm. Because it's like one size fits all, right? It it goes on a flatbed for, or not actually. I'm not even sure if they have like flatbeds for those, or if they just have like some sort of some sort of like skeletal uh, roller for them that for the trucks. And of course, putting them on the putting them on the rail cars designed for moving the intermodal containers. Yeah. And of course, stacking like thousands of them on container ships that occasionally go sideways. Yep. Sometimes. And sometimes they go sideways in the wrong place, too, and block the whole uh, beer aisle, unfortunately. Yeah. And this disaster was... This was almost as bad as blocking the beer aisle. I think they blocked the whole Suez Canal for a while, didn't they? They did. And it was horrible. So what's the current status on this thing? It's free, and from what I've heard, there's... uh, there's some people looking into the hull to see if there's any damage to it. And mm-hmm. I wasn't really paying attention to that. <laughs> no, what I was no paying attention facts. to were meme, <laughs> were the memes that were coming out yeah, over this thing. So one of the ones that I that I loved and is like my number one pick is somebody somebody made a uh, made a screenshot of. Sim City 2000, yeah, <laughs> with a canal going through. I saw this and the in the note. Yeah. Sideways stuck in it. Yeah, you saw <laughs> that too. <laughs> well, you, I saw it when you sent it to me. Yeah, oh, that was good. So that's my absolute favorite. I, I'm seeing that. And I'm like, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. Of course, being the sort of person that I am, who like grew up on Doom and Sim City 2000, this is my shit. Yeah, and that's your ship. Indeed. Oh, I like they, they even got the date right, March 2021, Suez. Yeah. Uh, yeah that's that little detail. <laughs> Stuck in the water. Yeah. Well, speaking of water. Another um, one. Oh. oh, go ahead. Do one more. Oh, because I got another one, right? Yeah. Actually, I got, a, I got a couple. I got a couple more that I just want to get out of the way. So the other one is, you know, those who would win memes? Yeah, like. So you uh, got on one hand. You got on one hand a global trade system between technologically 
advanced civilizations, and on the other hand, one shippy boy. <laughs> Spelled B-O-I. <laughs> yeah, B-O-I. Yep. Uh, who would and, win? Yep. And one really, really horrible pun to wrap it all up now that, uh, now that the ship is free. Enough with the Suez Canal jokes. That ship has sailed. <laughs> Jeez. All right. Are, are we done? Can we move on? <laughs> yeah, we're, do we're done. All right. For okay. Now, speak, speak. Oh, but there was one ah. other thing. <laughs> one more there, thing. <laughs> it's not a meme. It's not a meme. But somebody actually made a Suez Canal simulator. <laughs> I like a game. Yes. Yes. A game. Good cheese. So I found this while I was looking for more memes to to add to the show notes. Yeah. And came across an article that is titled "A Suez Canal Simulator Game Already Exists Because Of Course It Does." Yeah. On MS Power User, I'm like, these are my people. Well, they've had is is it a legit sim game? Uh, kind of like the truck driving sim games, things like that. The real I'm not time. Sure. Truck I haven't driver. actually run it. I have the I have the feeling that it's probably more like Surgeon Shim Simulator, but with ships. Oh, jeez. So like, or like you know, Kerbal Space Program, but for but for ocean going ships instead of spaceships. There's like wacky shit happening all the time, and uh, you know, yes, things going At awry. Least that's my hope. Yeah. That is my that is my ardent hope and prayer. Well, my hope is that. I can get to opening this can without another topic showing up. And uh, what I have is called Liquid Death for Rare Encounter. Have you ever heard of Liquid, Liquid Death? Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like this. No, I can't say that I have. Liquid Death. It's got a skull with like, so the skull looks like it's made out of melting maggots. And the skull is kind of looking up like it's in anguish, you know, trying to escape from the pit of hell. It says, murder your thirst. And, uh, you know, okay, please tell me that you have pictures of this can so that we can add them to the show notes because that sounds fucking metal. <laughs> well, just wait until you hear what's in it. Sparkling water. What? Mm. Yep. That is sparkling water. That's it? From it's the, not even alcoholic. Nope. It's from the Austrian Alps and it is a can of water. Actually, it's sparkling water. So <sighs> I'm disappointed. Yep. <laughs> that, that can is too metal to just hold something non-alcoholic. It's got, like, gothic script on the, the front. You know. Yeah, what do you got? Me? Yeah. I got a pear cider. A pear Real cider. Real pear, not flavored. <sighs> yep. Now, let me ask you a question Perfect about... Perfect pear cider. Let me ask Eden you... Eden Grove. 100 hand-picked Ontario pears. Always fresh-pressed, gluten-free, and vegan-friendly. Which, once again, begs the question, it's cider. Where would it get gluten from? Yeah, that's a good point. It's all got to be... And it's not all that great. Yeah. We got to step this up. You know, I'm drinking water and you're drinking cider that's not that great. I do have a backup beer just because I'm going to open that too. Because <laughs> so I wasn't really going to ah, drink a lot. Ah, there we go. Yeah, there we go. This is a Sapporo, just beer. <sighs> Keep things lively. All right, well, we got some topics to get to uh, today. I don't know. I usually lead something topics. off. Why don't, why don't you lead us off with something else? 
What do we got from you today? All right. Well, apparently, YouTube dislikes dislikes, and they're starting and they're starting the effort to get rid of them slowly but surely. Mm. The start the starting point is they're leaving the dislike button there, but they're not showing how many dislikes that a video gets, at least not to the public. Yeah. Yeah. My guess is this probably has something to do with the Biden videos that have been ratioed ever since the inauguration. I, I think it's just just control. Um, I'm not going to say there's just I'm, and this is my speculation. Um, you know, by getting rid of it, then they can control the narrative. They're already faking. We already know that they manipulate the view counts and everything, and that they uh, they change uh, the likes and dislikes according to their own whims. And sometimes they say, oh, well, there's an algorithm that backs this up. But you never can see the algorithm. You don't really know. They just sort of tell you it's there, and you're supposed to nod and say, oh, it's okay. There's an algorithm. Um, but, you know, it's if there's no aid to dissent on YouTube, then, you know, how's that bad for YouTube? That seems like a good move to me. The only Maybe, people, the only people are gonna going to leave over it are. I think this already. is no. Oh, go ahead. I think this is. I think this is a further sign of YouTube becoming slowly more irre- irrelevant. I mean, with people now moving towards alternative platforms, as more and more people get canceled off of YouTube and everything else, that's under the control of the. Uh, of these people on the left, like at Google and Facebook and everywhere. Mm. I mean, the more, what was it? What was it that Princess Leia said to uh, Grand Moff Tarkin? Something about something about the tighter he squeezes, the more starter systems will slip through his fingers. Oh uh, yeah, was that to Tarkin or was that to Vader? I'm pretty sure it was to Tarkin. Maybe he was just in the room. Well, yeah, you can see that. Yeah, he it, was. The, he was there. He was there. I mean, that scene had. Had the two of them. That uh, matters not. And, yeah. The, you know, dislikes have been a, a core part of YouTube for a little while, haven't they? Um, they were, I'm a trying to remember time. if they were an original feature or they showed up some somewhere along the way. But there's a lot of services that only let you have positive affirmations. You can't ever say, no, I don't like, but, you know, Facebook has a like button. They don't have a dislike button. For example, even uh, No Agenda Social, there's no thumbs down button. You can star it. You can like it. Well, on uh, on Pleroma, various services like Pleroma, like I am, I have an account on Shit Poster Club which runs Pleroma, mm-hmm. and there's the ability to actually add different emojis as uh, reactions to a post. Uh, I've seen this. I think yeah. Discord has the same sort of thing. Ex- Except that you can have all sorts of custom ones, and if you actually want to have more than, like, five of them, you have to pay them money to use them. Jeez. Yeah, I've yeah. noticed that, too. But, but. Uh, that's, a, that's a nice, quick, easy way of expressing dissent on, on the uh, Fediverse. Well, this reminds me a little bit of, um, do you know, do you remember RDO at all? Um, it was a company that got bought by Pandora, but they were a music streaming service uh, not unlike Spotify. Um, in fact, when Spotify was launching in the U.S., I think RDO had just launched just a little bit before them. Um, the, I'm sorry about that. My cough button for some reason. The um, Before they got bought by Pandora, they kept going through different changes. And one of the things they changed is they used to have a like button. 
So you could go in, if there was a song that you liked or an album that you liked, you could click the button and it would say, oh, I like this, and it'd get added to your little library. And they changed the the, uh, the UI, so now instead of having a, a series of songs that you liked, you had a series of songs that you loved, and they changed all the uh, the iconography from, I forget, it was like a, I forget what it was before, they changed it to a heart, like a red heart. And uh, I wrote an angry letter. I wrote, I actually complained to them and say, "Hey, man, you know when I signed up to this, I didn't like. I didn't love this song. I just liked it. And if you don't think there's a difference between liking something and loving something, you know, this, yeah, I got news for you, bud. And I actually set that off, and uh, it, it was partially facetious, partially it was just seeing if I could get a, a rise out of them. And they got a a uh, answer back, which was basically, you know, like you know, f you. That's nice <laughs> that you feel that way, uh, but we're not changing anything. Is oh well. But that kind of change where they're, oh, we're getting into uh, really tweaking the details. You know, in the background, you know a consultant or someone got brought on that said, oh, you know, uh, like is such a weak thing. You really need to make make them love it. And if it says love, then they'll really love the music by clicking on, you know. There's going to be some stupid consultant reasoning behind doing the audio change. And I'm just trying to back out. You know, you're taking the stance that it's just uh, it's a political move or something. I don't I don't buy that at all. I think there's it's an someone decided to do it, and the rationale for it isn't v- visible to us. We don't know why they did that, um, and we could speculate and we could say, oh, it's because they're bad or they're stupid or whatever. But I don't think they're stupid. I think there's a rationale, and maybe we just haven't seen it yet. And I don't think it's the obvious one. It's not like oh, so Joe Biden can't be disliked. I I think it's uh, it's yet to be seen well, it's, more than be... Just, it's more than just him it's obviously but i mean they're keeping they're keeping dislikes themselves around for now but they're just hiding the value except for the content creators themselves R- right so if you've got a video on youtube you'll be able to still see how many dislikes you got but nobody else can see it so but, that's definitely that's definitely like trying to and trying to hide how people actually feel about something as yeah. opposed to as opposed to just like changing and just changing to a positivity only system it sounds Speaking like that's where they're moving though mentioned about radio about audio 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 is yeah. uh audio is that i could actually see like a one to five sort of scale where everything starts, or really negative two to positive two scale, where everything starts at zero, and be, and you can say like you like, love, or dislike, hate a song, yeah. and then machine learning can be used to determine similar songs that you might feel the same way about, and then provide you with a better curated list of songs you haven't heard before. Now that now that would be actually something useful. And the only way to really to really provide that good data for yourself is to have that sort of scale where you can say like yes, no, or neutral, right? Hmm. Y- yeah. So, the um. So I think if I was to create if I was to create a uh, music streaming service, mm-hmm. that's definitely how I would go about it. I've been pretty cold on the auto DJ music streaming stuff. Um, for a couple of years, um, I used to listen to it. Like I used to subscribe to RDO, and then they went under. So I don't, I don't anymore. But I, in the last couple of years, I've, I'm super album oriented. I almost always listen to 
Um, I decide, oh, I'm, I'm going to listen to this album today, and then I go and I'll put it on and listen to it all the way through. And it, and it's not like it's on vinyl or anything like that. I'm like playing MP3s off my phone at work or something. But um, that's the direction I've gone. I don't. And and I'll use. Um, there's some services you can get get to online to pick out. Oh well, you know, if you like this band, here's some other bands like it. Um, and those are mediocre. The best way that I've discovered new music or new to me music is by just looking up bands and finding out who opened for them. What other bands did you know the guitarist? Oh, he played in four different bands and go check them out if you hadn't heard of them, stuff like that. And, you know, navigating the web instead of, of uh, you know, the, the web of people. Usually Wikipedia is pretty good about finding out that kind of information. But the auto DJ stuff has been... I can only think of two or three uh, bands or albums or songs I really liked that I got off from one of those recommendation engines. And most of the other stuff that I really like, I ended up having to uh, either find myself or someone told me about it. So I, I'm not sold that these things are that great. I suppose. I mean, I, I haven't used any music streaming services since I quit using Spotify. Yeah. And uh, I've, I've actually, I'm actually like a balance between just album-oriented listening and spinning random tracks and continuing what I what I'm feeling like listening to at the moment and skipping over that which I don't. Yeah. My only real problem with the auto DJ stuff is I really hate it when it when it does like the same band like two, three, four times in a row when I want like I want like a broad spectrum across the genre instead of just like a particular artist. Hey, here's another Eagles song on repeat. <laughs> yeah, and that honestly, that pisses me off about Music Bee. I love Music Bee. It's the program that I use for for like all my music on Windows and it's really good. It's a really good app for that. Hmm. But the Auto DJ is is such a lazy son of a bitch in how it actually picks the songs and then if i try if i try and tell it like okay at least let six songs go by before you play the same artist again <laughs> it goes oh i can't i can't build a playlist for you fuck off and yeah. like yeah this is no good yeah yeah ah well the struggles of uh what, what would you call that a first world problem <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely a first-world it, problem. The, the computer didn't pick the song that I wished it picked. Oh, boy. <laughs> but I don't want to make a playlist myself. I just want someone else to do it. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, you know, the software, just while we're talking about software, the software I use is I might... I use Hot Glue Chateau, Doug. I use my... Uh, my server has uh, the Synology app on it. And... Uh, it has all my music ripped to it. The stuff I've bought, stuff I've ripped myself, and uh, it has a nice little companion I love your wallpaper app. on there, by the way. I still don't know what I... I remember when I made you an account on that. I, I, uh, I better set a wallpaper for cold ass. I, I know I put something. I Honestly, I have no idea what I set it to. It's hollow. Oh. Well, shit, it should have been something With gross. With an apron full of apples. <laughs> it should have been like goat seed, Because, actually. of course, it's hollow. <laughs> Ah, I failed. I should have put something gross up there. Ah, well. Actually, it's more than just apples. She's got some grapes in there, a pear, what looks like could be a plum, maybe a couple of peaches. Ah, horn of plenty. Oh, plenty horny. 
<laughs> he is such a best girl. Yeah. Well, I can't wait until fall comes so I can watch Spice and Wolf. Actually, uh, this autumn I'm going to watch season two because I watched season one last uh, last October-ish, you know. I'll just put, I got the DVD, I'm just going to, or the Blu-ray, I'm going to sit on it and uh, that'll be something I'll look forward to. Oh, well, speaking of things we've been looking forward to, uh, let's see, what do we got? We got the Olympics are coming up. Ah, I don't want to talk about that yet, though. I don't care about the Olympics. Uh, we had a um, building collapse in Baltimore. little local news. Ooh. Yeah. Um, it was a brick building, old brick building. And I, I looked up the value of it. Um, I'm pretty sure it was abandoned. Um, and it, it was built in 1920. Uh, so it was kind of an old building. As far as I could tell, no one was inside it. Uh, someone got hurt, I think, when a brick hit their car on its way down or something like that. But I put some photos in the show notes for you. Um, you might have to refresh. I popped them in right before we started. Um, the first oh, one's a, the picture of the uh, the collapse, where you can just see the pile of bricks where it used to be and the fire engine, you know, pulling up next to it. And then uh, I, I pulled a um, cap off from Google Street View, and you can see that it didn't look too bad before it collapsed. I mean, I, I guess looks are deceiving. But the Google Street View um, shows the mural that was painted on the bottom, which was kind of nice with the uh, the grass and the trees and stuff. And all up and down the street, um, the address is inside the uh, the news story. I have the, the link in there. I can't remember it off the top of my head. But they um, there's all these murals on the side of all these old buildings, you know, down the street in in uh, in Baltimore. But at oh. least until they collapse. Yeah. Well, that's a, such a shame. You know, if they aren't exploding. You know, I guess they're collapsing. Though, um, there, there is some uh, hope in sight. One of the guys who was injured in one of the many explosions that happened in Baltimore in the last couple of years is actually suing BG&E, which is the Baltimore Gas and Electric Company, say that um, they detected, and I, I suppose they have some evidence, that they detected a um, high, I don't know what you call it, it's like a high rate of flow, um, more than should be pulled in by the furnace. Um, for like six hours in a row, the plant actually detected that it was that it was sucking in gas, and they didn't do anything. And so, th I think their angle is there's negligence on the part of BG&E because dog, you have a sensor that's monitoring all these gas connections, and you know that if the gas is turned on and it just is running for six hours, <laughs> that something might be wrong. Um, and they didn't do anything. It, and it could have been a soft... It, it's, they don't even know a program that sends a text message to someone to say, hey, look at this, there might be a problem, you know? Or, or blinks a light on a panel. They just didn't do anything. And he says, yeah, uh, this is negligence, and uh, I got really hurt because of it. So there's a lawsuit that just got filed. I think it was the 28th. Um, I didn't link the story. Uh, I'd have to look it up again. It was on Baltimore Sun. But... Um, well, hopefully, hopefully that lawsuit goes somewhere because yeah, yeah it's like ridiculous. I like I said, they've been kind of really shitty about this. BG&E's PR group needs to step it up because all they say every time anyone brings it up is they say, "Well, you know, the entire system was safe up to the meter, and um, you know, it's it's the explosion from all the gas we pumped into your house is your fault because uh, we think that the fracture was." On the other, you know, what they'll say is it's customer-owned equipment or something like that. And as if the people who are living in these neighborhoods, which are 
poor areas of town. Well, they're not always, but the uh, sometimes there's gas explosions in the middle of the city. <laughs> but some of them, not everyone's a, a certified plumber. And, and the, what I hear is that if you're a certified plumber, you can also work on the gas, uh, the gas lines and, and service a furnace. But you know, it's it's like they give it they give it this whole. It's not our fault. We shouldn't have done anything, and we're you know, which I guess is the the line that you might use in court. But it doesn't endear me to them. And like I mentioned on the the previous show, they're being spun off. Uh, the company, the parent company for BG&E, is sick of their shit too, and, and they're like dumping them. They're saying, "Oh well, you know, you're your own own thing now, and we don't have anything to do with you." So. It's just a bad <laughs> they nice. blew up their own damn building. The BG headquarters exploded. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, what are you doing, That's Don? Fucking ridiculous! I know. It's just in the middle of the day. It blew up, and it blew up while there were window washers washing the windows, and it blew out the top of the the ceiling of the skyscraper. It's a tower in the middle of the town, and the anchors that held half of the um, the scaffold with the window washers fell off. And so there's a window washing platform dangling precariously. It's like, holy shit. Oh, my with God. With the big BGE sign, and everyone knows that they blow up houses. Come on. Ah, well, that's, now I'm bitching about local news. There we go. We need. I need a, a jingle or something for that. It, it's a good bitch. Yeah. It's a good bitch. That's a good bitch. Ah, uh, well. Hey, we had some podcast, uh, needed. podcast news. You want to jump into that? We could do the podcast stuff up front. Sure, why not? Let's see. Uh, well, why don't you lead us off? Because you had your um, Quartha uh, meetup. Uh, how'd that go? I heard you on, on uh, No Agenda, and I saw a picture on uh, No Agenda Social. Yeah, so Sir Richard put up the picture of us at the restaurant, and... Well, I've got that. You've got that clip to play that I sent you. Yeah, you want me to How play that? How about you put it on? Yeah, um, I got it. Let's take a listen. So we were gonna give the vaccine to everybody and install Windows 10 in their head. <laughs> hey, it's Sir Richard, Knight of the Kawarthas, and we are in the Kawarthas in beautiful Peterborough, Ontario. Welcome. I am the new agenda server. Lady Carolyn uh, from Hog Story with Fletcher. Ah, uh, this is Pete, a douchebag experiencing enslavement. This is Joe Connor in the morning. 33% at the Kawartha meetup have their own podcast. This is Matt uh, in the morning. In the morning, John Adam, producers and trolls. This is Aaron Chris of the Kawartha Highlands, the night of the rare encounter. Okay, so that was a trip. What, what's going on with it? Uh, we temporarily became chipmunks. Uh-huh. All right. No, I'm lying. That that was some fun that uh, John Fletcher had with oh, our boy. recording because because we had him do the cleanup of the audio and actually that part with the with the 33 percent of the meeting being podcasters was something that was said outside the original recording. So we needed him to splice it in for us. Mm. Mm. And, well, Fletcher, being the sort of person he is. Had a little bit of fun, and we all had a good laugh about it. And then he sent on a couple, a couple of different versions for what to actually put on the show. Oh uh, yeah! And we chose the one with the with the music bed in the background because there was still there was still enough of the original background music at the bar that was sounding kind of weird. Ah! Uh. 
Although so with is, the with the added on back with the added on music back, it sounded a lot better. So how's the whole meetup then? You, you kind of went up there for what a day and a night or something. Yeah, I stayed the night in Peterborough this time. I mean, the the meetup is only 45, 50 minute drive from my place, mm -hmm. so it's not a big deal. For Carolyn, it's a it's a much longer drive. It's like two and a half, three hours, something like that for her. We actually had somebody come to the meetup from either and further away. Came from Barrie, Ontario, which is. Which is if you take if you take the distance from Carolyn's and then add on another hour of driving. <laughs> Jeez, well, that but sounds yeah, like it was fun. A, it was a pretty fun. It was a pretty fun gathering, and we stayed we stayed past uh, last call, which with all the COVID nonsense is only at nine o'clock. Oh, that's bullshit. And uh, and if yeah, it's total bullshit. And then a few of us uh, hung around uh, in. Uh, carolyn's hotel room for a while uh just uh hanging out and uh oh, having a great talk that reminds me of like you know just hanging out in someone's random person's hotel room and like i don't i assume drinking was involved at some level i'm having flashbacks not to, for uh, me but for the others yeah, yeah. there's uh <laughs> there's a bit of the old devil's lettuce as well of course mm -hmm. because this is canada and and this is one of the hog story hosts. How could how could there not be? Yeah. Oh boy, that sounds fun. Um, I heard. Uh, yeah. So uh, so we got so we got our no agenda gathering, and we got some hogging about. And some hogging about. Yeah. Um, you can hear uh, Carolyn Blaney and a hog story. They just had their episode uh, one seventy, titled "The Spectral." That was out on Tuesday. Uh, listen to that. Uh, actually, I listened to that live for once, though I shouldn't admit that. I don't want to give anyone the impression that I live listen to podcasts live. Um, we also had Grumpy Old Ben's had their episode 147, Sewing Discord. They, they were talking more about the Discord stuff than I think we're ever going to get into. Um, yeah. That was on uh, Monday. So I can listen to Grumpy Old Ben's sometimes because I work while, they're, uh, while they do their show. So I'm busy, but... What I'll do is I'll put it on, you know, and I'll catch, I don't know, half an hour. And then I usually have to go to a meeting on Monday. So I, uh, what I'll do is I'll leave the show and I'll come back and turn it on, and you know, an hour and a half later or something like that. If they're still talking, I'll listen to them a little more. Uh, so I get bits and, yeah. bits and pieces, the, the, you know. The good, yeah. The GLB post shows half the time are even more interesting or at least more fun than the, than the proper episodes. Hmm. Yeah, that's especially, something. especially when, uh. When Darren opens up the phone line, so to speak. <laughs> oh yeah, there've just... been, been a few times. There's been a few times where where I've chatted with Darren and Ryan after an episode, and Fletcher has. Yeah. Well, Honestly, heard... some of those post shows could be released themselves as episodes. They're they're long enough. Uh, I'm trying to remember who said that it should be. It's okay to have ephemeral things. Um... You know, you don't need to save every single thing you ever do and post it. Sometimes it's just for the people there. At least that's my feeling that's on some things. Like we had a um, a jam. I, <laughs> I was talking with Sir Spencer about trying to do a jam. Uh, Strawberry or raspberry? Uh, rock, drums, and bass. Ah. Like a musical jam. Best kind of jam. Yeah. The jam. And, yeah, Carblades was there, too. We were trying to get Fletcher on there. And so we recorded a couple things on it, but one of the, the things that was kind of fun, at one point we were trying to get Fletcher on, and so we were like, uh, 
singing a song. We decided we're going to summon Fletcher to the show by singing a song about him. And we went and we fucking played it. And it was great. You know, it's like that Tenacious D, the greatest song in the world, you know. And yeah. And then when we were done, it's wow, that was fucking great. Who was recording it? And everyone, we kind of looked at each other. Uh, I thought you were recording it. <laughs> and so it's gone. Oh, you no. know, it's just a little magic for us. No one else, no one else is ever going to hear it. And uh, unlike the Tenacious D song, we didn't summon anything, much less uh, Fletcher. So, but uh, yeah, so we were uh, doing a little jam, and we tried a bunch of different applications. Um, I can't even remember the names. I got like two different things to install from Sir Spencer's Jammer was one, and there's some other program that I can't uh, can't remember. And they were both aggravating and irritating in all different ways. And you know what we actually uh, we actually ended up using to uh, to jam. It's just clean feed. It turned out that jamming over hey, clean feed was well easier. <laughs> it was it was so much easier, and we actually could get some stuff that didn't. Well, I don't know. I'll give you a taste of. Uh, there was some of the stuff that that got recorded. I clipped out like twenty second clip of uh, of uh, what. This is one of the songs that we were playing. You can make you be the judge if it's if it's good or not. There you go. <laughs> this is kind of bullshit. I dig it. Yeah, I thought it was car planes on it. the car planes on the synths. Uh, I was playing bongos, and Sir Spencer was on the ta the Tasmanian Devil vocals. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you great. guys definitely need to record more of your jam sessions. Ah, that was pretty fun. That you was know, a fun little listen. We were broadcasting it on the. Uh, the Rare Encounter stream and on the Bowl After Bowl stream, I think. Uh, so there was a chance to listen, but no one was recording it. Uh, the first first of hopefully many. So I don't know if we're going to try again exactly on Sunday, but uh, I want to try this shit again sometime. See where we get. Make sure to record it all this time. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. All right. Well, what else it'll do we give have? Us more, it'll give us more themes for the show. <laughs> oh, God. I'm just glad we got away from that. <laughs> I used to make a, a song for every episode, and that was just a pain in the butt and just waste, wasting a lot of time. I'm well, you we... don't have to have a new one for every episode. You could have, like, a set of songs and then just every so often create a new one and add it to the, add it to the cycle. I think that's what uh, Fletcher and Carolyn do. Yeah, it's... Maybe we could. You know what? What I'd have to do is just change up the uh, the theme song. I, what it does is it sits on the one button on my soundboard, and the, it just stays there until I change it. So, yeah, I could do that. I could. How about this? Next week, I'll uh, I'll switch it up. I'll put a new theme song on. And I got some old ones sure. too. There's some good ones. And oh, car, car blames. Carolyn that she makes. says she actually she actually makes a song every week. Usually, <sighs> I've done it. It's just a, a lot of what would happen is. I'd usually come in, and right before the show started at 7, it'd be like 6.15, and I'd say, well, I need a song. And then whatever comes out, comes out. That's the theme song. And just, some of those just were really bad, so I, I gave it up. Oh, if she's ambitious, she'll do two songs in the same week. <laughs> we need a house band. Maybe that would be it. We could be the first podcast, you know, kind of like... Um, 
you know, uh, Conan O'Brien had Max Weinberg in the Max Weinberg 7, and Jay Leno had Kevin Eubanks in the, what was it, The Tonight Show Band, and what were the other ones? You had, uh... Who was it, who was it that, uh, um, David Letterman had? David Letterman had, um, Paul Schaefer. Yeah, Paul Schaefer, the, yeah. the little Canadian guy. I and I know I'm talking to a Canadian because he would say, "Oh, Paul Schaefer, he's Canadian, not Paul Schaefer, he's bald." Just so we're on the same page. <laughs> yeah, the bald guy with sunglasses. Oh boy. Hey, they had that guy on. Um, oh, it was the it's a very pro. I'm spacing on his name. The prolific songwriter. He wrote um, MacArthur Park. <laughs> um, he wrote some songs for. Um, Glenn Campbell, Jim Webb, he had, uh, he was on the, uh, oh, geez, it's the Late Show with Letterman, right? I think The Tonight was. Show is Leno, Late Show is Letterman. Um, and, and they did that, they did, it was like the 40th anniversary or 50th anniversary or something for, for MacArthur Park. Uh, are you familiar with that song? Of course. It's a, someone left the cake out in the rain, you know. The uh, I, I prefer I prefer Weird Al's take on it uh, myself, yeah. but yeah. Well, it is one of the it's it's among the widely considered to be the worst songs ever songs. <laughs> it's a uh, it's something else, you know. But Webb wrote a lot of good stuff. You know, he's a very prolific songwriter. He wrote a lot of hits. You know, stuff you can't you know, poo-poo, just because he had one weird song that was a little annoying to listen to. <laughs> but yeah, Jurassic Park by Weird Al, that was a good one. It Someone was. let T-Rex out in the rain. All right, and that's the, well, coming up next, uh, Nick the Rat. Well, he'll be on tonight. I don't think we have an absent a six-pack interview tonight. Usually they're on right after, but I didn't say anything about them. Huh. Um... What else was there? Sir Seat Sitter and Booberry and Sir Spencer all had a uh, new, I think it's unnamed podcast review show is what I have written in. I think someone, I think uh, someone on Bowl After Bowl said, uh, Sir Spencer said on Bowl After Bowl, a name for it, but I can't remember what the hell it was supposed to be called. But some unnamed in the works podcast review podcast. So I don't know. I listened to that live and uh, I told Sir Spencer what I thought of it already. So I don't need to repeat it here. <laughs> Well, we'll see if it comes well, out I on RSS. I said that out loud. <laughs> I didn't hear what you said, bull. I said lol. Oh, lol. <laughs> what? That's what I said out loud. All right, and that concludes the podcast segment. I don't know what Nick the Rat's doing tonight. He'll be doing something, though. You can call him up and ask at 917-719-5923. All right, I'm so afraid we, to ask. We got some topics. What do you want to do for yeah, topics? Yeah, there's still some things to talk. So... I was thinking, I was thinking, I, I, it happens sometimes, and it's usually not good. <laughs> it's dangerous, but I, I was know. thinking, yeah. And I was thinking about, what if people from the Revolutionary War were foods? So I actually have, I actually have a few names of some, uh, of some of the people who were around in the Revolutionary War. I, I don't know where this is going, but I'm ready to groan. So, you know, fire away. Yes, you will be groaning. <laughs> oh, George God. Watermelon. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Arnold Eggs Benedict. No. <laughs> Alexander Stop. Hamburger. Aaron no. Burrito. No. Stop. Benjamin Frankfurter. This is bullshit. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Fortunately, that's my whole list. 
Oh my god. That that was terrible, uh, by the way. Yes, yes, it was terrible. Oh dear. And that's what makes it so great. I had a And bat- I think that segues into something that you had on your notes. I uh, it's not gonna top that. I so I had a bad segment, but it wasn't gonna be that bad. <laughs> I was going to do a cold Don't read. Don't sell with, yourself uh, short. I was going to do a cold read with some potato jokes, which I presume are really bad, but I haven't read them yet. Um, so we got two links. We got upjoke.com. I don't know what upjoke.com is, but we also have yahoo.com, and they have a lifestyle section. <laughs> so what do you want to read from the lifestyle Yahoo page, Yahoo Life, or uh, upjoke? No, let's use Upjoke because it actually has a bunch of individual jokes that we can just, like, fire off. And then when we're bored of them, we just go on to the next topic. <sighs> all right, all right, all right, as McConaughey would say. All right, and so this is the Upjoke uh, list of potato jokes. Of course, on Rare Encounter, we're all about potatoes. We have the Potato Pro News and the Foodstuffs News, Snack Food News. So here we have some really bad potato jokes, and I will read the first one. Hey, cold acid. Yes, Abel Kirby. How many potatoes does it take to kill an Irishman? How many? Zero. Uh, That was bad. Why don't you give me the next one? What do you call a potato that looks like a penis? A dictator. (laughs) What do you call a regular-looking potato? A commentator. There are two potatoes standing on the side of the road. How do you tell which one is the hooker? The one that says Idaho on it. Oh, boy. What do you call it when two potatoes hook up? Mashing. Uh, That's bad. All right, I'm done. I'm already done. I was done before we started. I got I got one I got one more that I got to read off. Okay. What is the difference between a hot potato and a flying pig? I don't know. One's a heated yam and the other's a yeeted ham. Stop. <laughs> okay, and we're done. Cut rap, yeah. we're done. <laughs> this is this is an episode that is going to hell. Yeah, it's it? in a handbasket or a sack as it were. In a sack, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hit me with one of these uh, tech stories. You got, um, what's this? A retrospective of one of the first Dutch Dutch game studios? Yeah, so this is actually something that somebody posted on the English Amiga board uh, just recently, and I came across it. Uh, there used to be a game development studio in the Netherlands called Team Hoy. Team Hoy. Yeah, and Hi. one of the one of the members one of the members of the of the studio, uh, he blogged about it back in January, and I only just found this I only just found this like a couple of days ago, but it was a really interesting read about how they how they came together. They started off they started off like creating games for the Amiga. Mm. So it was an actual, it was an actual interesting read, and these guys were like teenagers. Like, oh, as you, you look were. at the article yeah. and like, and like, one of these first pictures of them, like they don't even look like they got pimples yet. Like a bunch of, like a bunch of ninth graders. <laughs> yeah, that's when the but yeah they were they made and got and like made deals with publishers to uh, 
to get their games released, not just in not just in the Netherlands, but some of them even got released like in the United States. Okay. Is there anything I would recognize at all? I don't know. Maybe you'd recognize I don't know. You weren't an Amiga person, were you? No, nah, not really. So probably yeah, so nothing. You probably wouldn't. Blitzed on No Agenda Social and in the No Agenda Troll Room, I bet he would he would recognize some of these games if he didn't already see them reading through the article. Hmm. Well, they fun. actually made they actually made a game for a commercial and a kids TV show where kids on the show would get to play this game and if they beat it would win peanut butter to their height. So like jars of <laughs> peanut butter stacked up to their height. This is like uh that show on UHF uh, from the movie, uh, what was it called? Uh, something's Play Playhouse. The guy with uh, Kramer. You get the drink from the fire hose. What, what the? What was that? You know the Weird Al movie UHF? Yeah, I know of UHF. Yeah, it sounds like something they do on that. Your yeah. height in peanut butter. Your height in peanut butter. Oh boy, stupid! You're so stupid, is <laughs> Booberry? Yeah. Oh, all right, snapper. Ooh, that ain't tasty. <laughs> I love that guy, the, the karate teacher. What was his name? <laughs> so, he was great. Unfortunately, some of their games, they did not get the royalties from the publishers for. Which is, which is pretty disappointing, but not that surprising in the sort of, considering the sort of fly-by-night operation most, uh, most game publishers were back in the late 80s and early 90s. Hmm. That's cool. That's like a feel-good story, yeah. you know. Yeah, and well, the article it also has a uh, it also has a YouTube video of them being interviewed from around 1992. So I just put the I just put the link in our chat, and it's definitely in the show notes. Yeah, it reminds me of you know in the 90s we were trading. Um, and we weren't really making games. We were making maps for uh, kind of Age of Empire, you know, uh, or Starcraft or something where they had the map editor built in. Maybe I guess that would be the yeah, late Doom 90s. for me. We, yeah, on floppy disk. So we'd like uh, put a bunch of files on a floppy disk. You'd trade it to your friend. And they have to get the floppy disk on the other side. it come back to you, you know, uh, in a couple days with new files on it. Files you didn't see before. It was all, all fun. And then one fateful day... Um, Wow, it must have been in 99 or maybe 2000 or something like that. Uh, a friend emailed me an MP3 file. Wow. And it took a long time to download. We had dial-up. Um, and that was the first uh, digital music file that I, I remember ever having. And you know what song it was? What song was it? All Star by Smash Mouth. Oh, nice! <laughs> we downloaded that on the 56K modem. Uh, it must have been before 2002. I'm just trying to think of what, what house we lived in, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think his sister got it off from, uh, might have been LimeWire, or one of the, it might have actually been off from, um, not Rhapsody, what's the, uh, the famous service that everyone uh, mentions, and I can't remember the name now. Napster? Yeah, Napster. Ah, well, it's all good stuff. Well, speaking of, uh, internet slow internet connections I, I had a run-in at a work for a, a tangential project it wasn't something i was really working on but i got asked uh, to look at because i know something about antennas and uh, 
antenna technology. I got asked to look at uh, some different kinds of Wi-Fi antennas and you know, well, here's a data sheet for something, and you know, can you find out if it's a if it does what it says? And I got pulled into the deep dark world of consumer antenna marketing, and it's absolute bullshit. It's a uh, we were looking at Wi-Fi antennas, like little monopole antennas, selling on uh, on uh, Amazon.com. And, oh, it's like it's a $6 antenna, you know, you can screw onto your um, your WLAN receiver card or something. And, oh, it's dual band, and, and what they do is they just state just absolutely absurd specs on these things. Like, they'll say, oh, it's an omnidirectional antenna with, like, 22 dBi of gain or some, like, crazy bullshit. Uh, and so we actually... Marketing people. It is, it's worth, like, 22 dBi for a little, uh, like, the little antenna on your router? What are you fucking kidding? Are you high? There's no way that's true. And they're selling it. It's like in the copy. And they and we had a bunch of these things that uh, poor unfortunate soul actually went out and said, yeah, we're just going to buy some and, you know, we'll actually test them. So I went through all those uh, those motions and yeah, it basically confirmed. Yeah, it's all bullshit, you know. And so I'm, I, I spent most of today going through Amazon, looking at different antennas, you know, HDTV antennas and trying to figure out, is there a single item for sale that doesn't obviously lie on its specs when it comes to the antenna performance. And so far... Of course not. Yeah, there's none. None of them do. And they're all by like, oh, when you track down the company. So we found a bunch of these that are... It's obviously not true. Like, they don't even know what isotropic gain is, let alone if they have 22 dB of it or not. And it's like, oh, it's a Lithuanian company with, like, two employees. <laughs> and uh, or and I, I was making fucking phone calls, too. I'm, like, calling some of the manufacturers because this is a little research You're project. You're lucky if it's Lithuanian. I, I was calling some of the even, like, American manufacturers. Yeah, so, uh, you know, we bought this uh, part, and I tested it out, and, you know, it looks like uh, it's not giving me what it says. Do you think it's defective, or what do you want to do about it? And I get the, you know, the bullshit story. Well, you know, we made this thing, uh, and uh, maybe the designs drifted over 10 years, so we built it, but all the tooling that builds it, I'm like, maybe it's changed a little, you know, and so maybe it's not as good as it was when we first bought It's all bullshit. Like, they're hemming and hawing over the fact they've basically outright lied. They've cons- committed fraud, uh, clear, clearly, uh, on all these postings. And some of these are American companies, too, so they're liable as far as i could tell but the uh the final uh thing i was looking at before i I left it i was looking at the ftc the federal trade commission in uh in the u.s which is supposed to keep a uh you know an eye on these sorts of things and and so if you're going and selling a part with that's verifiably you've lied (laughs) about its performance um you're supposed to go after you for it and you know the only antenna that i could find um of all these different they're all obviously the specs are wrong uh, they just made up some number and the higher the db number the more it sells so you know they just put up they put up all this uh this crap on there but the uh the ftc is going after some antenna manufacturers but it's not for lying about the specs they'll it looks like they'll go after you for if you put up a terrestrial tv antenna and you say you can receive all your quote all your favorite channels on it they'll go after you for deceptive marketing and and you could lie about other things like you can lie about the gain of the antenna inside the the copy they don't go after you for that that doesn't even didn't come up in the complaint didn't come up in court from all the the reporting i saw they got 
after it because they said, well, what if their favorite channel is on cable and you can't get it on terrestrial TV? That's deceptive marketing. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know. That was the deep, dark pit that I was down for uh, for the last couple of days. It's uh, it's depressing. And, you know, a lot of these are no, marketed no, to you know people who don't depressing? know any better. Since you were listening to Grumpy Old Ben's. Oh, yeah. No, was it? It wasn't on Grumpy Old Ben's that I heard this, but I it was on uh, that Larry show. But you're killing me, bells Larry. That you, bells that you put on a bike's handles come with FCC notifications now. Yeah, but I think he just read the. I think it's was it the Part Fifteen notification? It was probably an electronic bell, is what I presume it was. And so, um, electronics do have to not emit a bunch of EMI. So before you take a, a product to market, you do have to be compliant in that it doesn't affect, you know, other devices that are around like uh and, and interfere with them. And they've had that since I don't know the 70s. They they started doing it for like spark plugs in cars at one point cuz what if you think about a spark plug in a car, well what is it? It's a spark gap. And it puts out a bunch of EMI if you don't treat it right. And so they actually had to put in a bunch of invent a bunch of new technologies so spark plugs have to be compliant in a way that they don't emit so much emi that it screws up terrestrial radio signals just by driving you know uh and all of the different you know i don't know i don't know what i have in front of me here well some commercial radio signals i wouldn't <laughs> mind if uh if people spark plugs drowned them out a lot of shitty radio stations out there. You can't just pin it on the uh, the FCC though, because you also have that in Canada, and they also have it in uh, in uh, Europe it's too. It's true, but uh, so you have like the Underwriters Labs, and you have what was CE? I'm trying to remember what still, all those. It's the still specs dumb are. though. Well, it's the way it works. If you, it, it's not like it's um, stopping you from getting to market if you have a little widget you want to sell. Um, most of the time, you just have to demonstrate. Now, if you're Chinese, what you do is you um, make a compliant device, and then as soon as you get your certification, you go and change the design to use all the cheapest parts that do interfere with everything, and you don't tell anyone. <laughs> you know, and you continue yeah, to claim you're certified, right. but the design they certified isn't the one you're selling. Well, that's that's a kind of a Chinese bullshit thing they do. But the uh I, that doesn't bother me that much because when you get into electronics there's a lot especially because the little shops that put out you know the little widgets like an electronic bicycle bell they're not the top of the line electrical engineers in the world and you could conceivably make a little circuit board that just fucks up everything around it by putting out emi at the wrong frequencies and um it, it is a little nanny state, but my perspective on it is it's not completely unwarranted. And there's my two cents. I just, I mean, if something's being powered by a AAA battery and it fits in the palm of your hand and it goes on a bicycle, can it really generate so much interference that it will actually fuck with anything more than like a foot away? Yes. Yes. The answer Seriously? is yes. Yes. Yep. Um, oh, well, part fifteen. Okay. Well, part fifteen. Unlicensed radiation rules. I think start at like the microwatt level. I think minus forty dBm is is uh, part fifteen unlicensed regulation. I I used to know this shit because I used to deal with that. Um, 
but I don't know if I think it was minus minus 40 dBm, which is like 100 microwatts. So yeah, yes. Okay, so so I'm definitely showing that I'm a real layman when it comes to this uh, radio shit. When because I I would never figure like something like that, like a little electronic bell on your bike, could cause could cause like enough interference to fuck with anything. Well, it'd have to be designed really bad, right? Or so or, or intentionally is... designed to be or intentionally designed to be uh, to interfere, but. It's still so don't get so don't get your electric uh, bike bells from China. I'm looking at a part from Japan. I have a guitar tuner in front of me. It also has a part 15 disclaimer. Uh, this is just a Korg, uh, you know, chromatic tuner that I used to tune my guitar. And right on the back, it has a part 15. Yes, this device is compliant with part 15. I think pretty much everything that's electronic is. Um, and it it's it also not to difficult be, yeah. to pass. It's not like it's. Um, it's not like it's an overbearing, you know, punitive level of oversight. It's a, it, it's just. Well, here, well, hearing that something with, uh, with such low power, could actually cause troublesome interference, does make it feel like much less of a nanny state thing than I was originally thinking. Well, what do you think the the level of signal that comes out of your cell phone is? It's pretty like what about GPS? What's the terrestrial um, electric field uh, due to a GPS vehicle in orbit? It's lower than the thermal What's noise the... floor. It's actually lower than the thermal noise floor. That's why the GPS receiver takes so long to pick it up. That's why it takes so long is because it has to sit there and integrate for fucking who knows how long, how many cycles before it can even detect the signal. So, yeah. How, how, much, how much EM interference does a human body put out? Um, I don't know the answer to that. I I know something about the reflectivity of humans, uh, but I don't know anything about your your black body radiation. Maybe maybe what it should be is that anything anything that emits less uh, EM radiation than a human body <laughs> doesn't need to be tested. Well, then there's the bonus that um, how much you radiate depends on how much how many bananas you've eaten recently, if I recall correctly, because potassium is radioactive. <laughs> Yeah, but given how many and given how many bananas you'd need to eat to actually like have any sort of change in your own radiation, you'd already be dead from overeating. Um, I'm not sure about that. I I've read a study that that said that the amount of potassium that a person consumes is directly correlated with how much they're actually radiating. Isn't like that because because like it's radio. Most of the man? most of the stuff inside you isn't radioactive, but potassium is. So. I don't know. I'm just saying what I heard. Banana equivalent dose. <laughs> banana equivalent That's dose. That's what I'm looking Woo! for. We need the banana equivalent dose. My God. He's seven bananas. Doc, he's seven bananas. That's going in the show notes. <laughs> seven bananas. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, enough, I'm going to need enough, 99 bananas for this one. Enough potassium to even just harm you out of bananas oh yeah to harm like, you it like you would be you would be harmed from the overeating first yes yes before the the radiation from potassium is destroying dna faster than it can repair itself you'd be already be dead from eating bananas <laughs> yeah all right and on that happy note 
the death. But this is one of our three things: is death by banana. <laughs> I should have a notepad. Yeah, open I think during that's definitely going in. Death by bananas. B a n a n a s. Oh, so before boy. we close up, before we close up for the day, since we're on now the topic of uh, of like ourselves and DNA, DNA scientists have created a simple synthetic cell that grows and divides normally. We've created life! What kind of cell is it besides synthetic? Like, it, wh- it's a like what are we talking about? What is organism. it? So, so back about five years ago, uh, scientists were able to create a... Uh, were able to create an organism... With only 473 genes in total, mm. but it was it was like really wacky and did not duplicate itself all that well. And now they've uh, been able to create been able to create a synthetic organism that neatly divides into uh, into new copies of itself. So a sentence. If I'm not mistaken, originally, like that one where it was 473 genes, they actually took like an existing bacterium and chopped out as much as they could without the thing just like okay. not being viable at all anymore. Okay. And now they've identified what sort of what sort of changes need to be made to it to uh, to make it act make it act properly to to like grow and divide into new cells. Hmm. Do they have uh, pictures or anything of this? Uh, that's what I always want to see is something, you know, that's visual that you can put in the notes or something. There's like, there's like a piece of art that some created where it's like a, uh, where it's like a cell body of puzzle pieces. Oh, hmm. and there is a, there is a time-lapse video Apparently, except it doesn't look like a video. It looks like a single picture of the of a video that shows the organism growing and dividing. Is that a? I'm looking for a link. I'll I'll put the link into the into the channel. Oh, I see it. Bum bum bum. No NIST. Woohoo NIST. Yay NIST. Yay for NIST. Yeah, they built they built this original one from a mycoplasma. It's the simplest living cell ever known. Yep. Da, 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 da. Scientists have identified seven genes that can be added to tame the cell's unruly nature. Uh oh. You leave that cell alone. That cell can do whatever it wants. Yeah. Racist. Racist. Yeah. Looks like NIST. Uh, <laughs> the work's being done at MIT. Is that true? The national wild National-ish? cells matter. Hmm. Wild cells matter. Oh, cool. I mean, oh, I see the but real yeah, picture here. Yeah, you know, I, I've seen, I've seen movies. I know where this goes. Yeah. Next thing you know, people are going to be turning into zombies, and there'll have to be like some, some like former special agent or former special ops people, and there's going to be some chick in a dress and. You know the whole the whole umbrella thing. Yeah, like on. a lot of umbrella uh, umbrella corporation shit. Yeah. <sighs> well, speaking of I've this, seen, I've seen these movies. I've seen these video games. Yeah. I I got around to something that I said I would do months ago. 
Um, then I never got around to, to it uh, until recently. But on the topic of DNA, I actually read the book um, The Double Helix by James Watson, which is his Ooh. autobiographical account of the discovery of DNA. And that I can say interesting. it is an excellent book. My, my only complaint is that the science wasn't as thick as I wish it was. Nerd. Yeah, I went into this. The reason I got interested in it was because in studying other things, um, uh, like I image formation theory is what I was. I was actually reading a book called, I think we linked it in the show notes once. It was uh, called The Theory of Remote Image Formation. It's a textbook. It's like a um, graduate level textbook that's on image formation. But anyway, one of the things it talks about is... Uh, it goes through all, you know, here's the different kinds of images, optical imaging systems, acoustic imaging systems, and it talks about x-ray crystallography, which was something I didn't know anything about, uh, mostly because I'd have avoided chemistry for most of my life, uh, but I thought it was fascinating. Don't blame me for that. Yeah, and it turns out that um, x-ray crystallography has a um, sort of the, the feather in its cap. Well, the first feather in its cap was, uh, was identifying the atomic spacings uh and and the uh what do they call it the uh the crystal uh lattice structure of metals and that was done by this guy named bragg and he shows up in the book and so he wrote bragg's law and he got a uh um one of these uh, nobel prizes for it um for you know That's inventing cool. the technique and then he's the advisor to uh well, I won't say he's the advisor to Watson and Crick, but he's 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 a key part of the the story where he's kind of like the old guy in the story watching the young guys work. Um, and this is taking place in the fifties, where we have this technique that he came up with, X-ray crystallography. Where what they're doing is they're bouncing an X-ray off from um, some material, and then looking at the diffraction pattern. And so they they take a photograph, not of like a you know an x-ray of your hand or something like that they they take an x-ray of the diffraction pattern of something instead so it's not really an image it looks like a blurry um mess but it turns out there's there's some uh, mathematical identities that bragg discovered that 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 determine oh well if the if the pattern looks like this that means the crystal structure must look like that and so there's there's direct relationships and the the title of the book like i said before is the double helix and this is when everyone was looking at nucleic acids and trying to figure out what the what's the deal what do they look like um and there was a bunch of different people trying to uh you know take samples of it and there's one one lab in um what was her name? Rosalind Franklin was an X-ray crystallographer, and she had a bunch of samples of DNA, and she was taking X-ray photo, X-ray uh, diffraction photographs of it, and then looking at them, and they were trying to figure out just from the the, the diffraction photo what the what the uh, the structure of DNA was, and no one knew it was a double helix. That was you know that's the big thing that they they came up with, and you know that's the stuff I really like. The book has a lot of interpersonal details, and it has, uh, you know, Watson getting into fights with Rosalind Franklin, saying it's I think something's a helix, and she doesn't think it is, and and but then she has some good reasons for everything that she believes too, and so there's there's some some rivalries, and and there's a there's a lot of drama that that's actually really fun to read. He actually makes a lot of really poignant remarks about science and scientists and and he's talking uh i think in the 60s when he wrote the book if if i remember the the published date correctly 
Um, and he's making these, like, really uh, funny to me comments where he's like, yeah, and, you know, most scientists are just dumb anyway. So, you know, they're boring. And, and he's, he he comes off as, you know, the young guy who knows everything. This is, it's really fun to hear his, uh, his story in his own voice. Um, the main thing that I learned from it didn't have much to do with X-ray crystallography, but it had to do with the... Uh, the three-dimensional models that they made for, um, you know, before they had computers and everything, when they were doing chemistry, they they decided, w w they knew all the constituent components of DNA because they had been able to break it down and say, oh, there's so much of this matter and there's so much of that matter and everything. And so what, what he ended up doing is going to a machine shop and getting uh, them to cut out tin plates that, that are in a representative shape of each uh, little little um molecule and positioning them in 3d and so he had like a, a column with a bunch of little uh arms off the side that would hold these tin plates and he had to space them and make sure the bond lengths were right and that was the only detail i really learned out of the out of the uh the book but it was still a fun one and actually i should get a picture of these uh these tin plate models because they look kind of wacky yeah the double helix yeah cold cold acid put the uh the thing in Goodreads. No, so. I just private private to you to to verify that oh, that's I, it. I got the right book. Uh, I guess I had the wrong. Yeah, yeah, that was it. So yeah, um, the 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 two photos that are interesting are photo fifty one, which was a um, photo that came out of Rosalind Franklin's lab that has the diffraction pattern of DNA, and it's a really. It, it sounds like they had a, a bitch of a time getting a clear photograph because there's so much so many moving parts but they finally got a really good photograph that shows the the correct diffraction pattern and then um, crick and watson looked at that photo and they said damn that's a double helix we figured it out so that was their contribution to everything the other the other photo is the 3d model which is harder to find i wasn't aware it existed but i will find it and make sure it gets put in the show notes um it, it looks kind of crazy you know it looks like a bunch of tin plates suspended in 3D, you know. But if you look close, it looks like a double helix. But anyway, there's my review, the book review of The Double Helix by James D. Watson. Nice. Sounds like one that I should pick up and read as well. I can uh, I can shoot you a copy of it on the DL. Just don't tell anyone. Yeah, but I like actually buying my books, too. <sighs> Jeez, One of these days, I will books. have I will have Ugh. my library of bookshelves all put together with all my books in there, organized. And when that happens, you better believe your ass that uh, those pictures are going to go up in our show notes. <laughs> You're going to have the uh, librarian giving you books I mean, I'm too. Gonna, huh? I'm going to have to show it off, right? I'm going to yeah. be like, my library is complete. Woo! Marvel in its wonderfulness. All right. What do you say we, uh, well, uh, let me just ask real quick. Is there anything else we need to bring up on the show or you want to wrap it up? I think we're good to wrap it up. Yeah, I think we're good to wrap it up too. So, it was, wow, it's our last show in March. I can't believe it's spring already. We're coming up on the, uh, oh, geez. It was, it was March, uh, or it was spring last episode too. Yeah, I know. Anyway, until next time, I've been Abel Kirby. I've been cold acid. I had a good woman. But she lay down, honey, and died. Oh, I had a good woman. But she
she laid down and died. Don't you know him about Timmy? She wasn't sad. 